honored to be here with you guys today. It's been so cool to just be here at the beginning of Saints Hill and see it transform. And as I was preparing to give this teaching, I think this text we're going to look at in Galatians, it's not a super easy one, but I think over especially the last four weeks, I've watched the Church of St. Hill be a church that's super quick to respond, super quick to love one another, super quick to say yes to what the Spirit's doing. And I think in watching you guys, I'm super encouraged um, just to be a part of this church and to be a part of this family. And I know there's a lot of you that I haven't met yet, but as a collective group, I've seen you guys be so willing to go where the Spirit wants to go. So I'm just excited to share with you tonight, excited to be with you tonight. And with that said, let's open up to our text for tonight. We're going to be in Galatians 6, verse 1. You guys can read this with me. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh and from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially those who have the households of faith. There's a lot there. Um, But one thing I think that we need to start with when we approach this text in Galatians is that we cannot know how to love each other without the Spirit. We cannot know how to love the way we're designed without the Spirit of God. In the context of what Paul's saying here, we can't care for one another without the Spirit, without being the kind of people who choose to walk in step with him um, in this language that he uses to reap um, from the Spirit. And right before this passage in 6, if you look just to your left, you're going to see in Galatians 5.25 where it says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So in other words, let us be a people who are so transformed by God, filled with the Spirit, that we're always looking and asking, God, where are you going? What are you doing? Because I want to go there too. So then he follows up with tonight's text. And I think we need to start here. We need to start with the spirit before we can move into how do we care for one another? How do we love this way? Because without the spirit, it's impossible. And in tonight's text, you'll see um, the verse, if you sow from the flesh, you will reap corruption. If you sow to the spirit, you will from the spirit reap eternal life. This language reaping and sowing, it might not feel super familiar. Um, So just to make sure that we're all on the same page, that um, language of sow literally means to scatter the seed. So thinking like farming, and maybe for some of us that is super familiar. But And then to reap is to reap a harvest, so to pull it up. So think, if I'm scattering pumpkin seeds, I'm not pulling up cucumbers, I'm going to pull up pumpkins. And so there's this clear and simple message that he's giving here. That's the things of the Spirit can't be reaped without him. So if I'm choosing the things of the flesh, if I'm throwing down seeds of the flesh, I'm not going to pull up the fruit of the Spirit. So the spirit of gentleness that we'll later see in verse 2 of tonight's text, it can't happen without him. We can't approach this text without him, without being a people who is full of the Spirit. So as our starting place, 
we have to talk about how we care for one another in the light of the Spirit, as Paul's instructing here in Galatians. We have to first look at the Spirit. What kind of harvest am I pulling up? Because without the Spirit, I just, I won't reap the gentleness required. So look back at verse seven. You'll see this language, God is not mocked. Meaning that we can't pull one over on him here. We don't get to reap heaven without the king. We don't get the things of him without him. And it's not that he's hiding the end game. It's super simple. It's that if we choose the spirit, we'll get the things of the spirit. If we choose the flesh, we'll get the things of the flesh, which is corruption. His statements don't leave us to ask any questions of, okay, well maybe if I choose the ways of the flesh, if I put my seed down in the flesh, I will pull up the things of the spirit. Or maybe it won't hurt the way that he says it's going to. No, God's honest with the end that the flesh reaps corruption. He's giving us this truth so simply and clearly here in Galatians as a reminder to not be fooled by that same lie. That same lie whispered way back in the beginning, way back in the garden of, okay, well maybe God can't be trusted. Because we believe that God can be trusted. We believe that the seeds of the spirit reap the things of the spirit and we wanna live under his narrative. In Galatians 2.20, he says, for I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Our truth, this narrative we live in as people of the Spirit, is our flesh is dead. That old man is dead. And we are reaping the things of his Spirit. We are people of the fruit of the Spirit. The old man has died and no longer lives. I live by the Spirit of Christ. You are marked. His Spirit is in you. This is your reality, an old man dead and a new one alive by the power of his Spirit. And still, as people who are marked, who are made of the Spirit, we also exist in a world that's marked by sin and evil. That's why we see in Galatians this push and this pull of the reaping and the sowing, that there's still a choice there. Because even as people filled with the Spirit, who've accepted the gospel of Christ, who it's his inheritance that we have, we have a choice of what world will I live in? I have power and presence available. I have full access to the Spirit of God. But am I going to choose to live in his world or live in the world of sin and evil that's around me? Am I gonna embrace the truth about the world that God's told me, the truth about myself? The church that Jesus longs for says yes to that question every time. Says, yes, I believe that the truth of the gospel doesn't stop at the cross, and this life I live now can be marked by the Spirit day in, day out, as I love the people around me, as he gave himself for me. And when we walk in that, we're transformed people with an outflow that's when we get to love the way Jesus longs for. Because the church that Jesus longs for loves by the Spirit. And so I don't wanna go any further without taking a moment and just inviting him to speak into this place. Um, that we would be a church who takes a moment and lets the, God's presence come. So Spirit, um, I just come tonight and I ask that you would speak. I know that I have words that I've written and I have things on a page, but they don't have to be said if they're not for me, Jesus. That tonight we would only go where you're going, that your spirit would lead this conversation as we talk about how to care for one another, about how to restore each other, how to be the type of church that Paul asked us to be in Galatians. Spirit, we ask that you would come and that you would teach and that we would listen and that even tonight in this moment that we would all say, yeah, I wanna be in step with you and I wanna hear what you have to say. Amen.
So um, back down in your Bibles, verse 1 of the text from tonight. So Galatians 6, 1. Paul focuses on what we do with sin as people who love by the Spirit. He says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him with a spirit of gentleness. Again, we see that language, spirit, spiritual, that this is not something that we do without the spirit. Restoration is an outflow of what he's up to. And God's vision of restoration is so beautiful. The definition, if you go and you read it, I googled it is the act of returning something to its former owner, place, or condition. So returning to what it used to be, which, yes, totally true. But God takes it another step further with his way of restoration. In Deuteronomy, um, God's renewing his covenant with his people, and he's talking about what his kind of restoration looks like. Um, This is up on the slide for you, and I want you to turn your eyes to this text with me. He says, God, your God, will restore everything you lost. He'll have compassion on you. He'll come back and pick up the pieces from all the places where you were scattered. No matter how far away you end up, God, your God, will get you out of there and bring you back to the land your ancestors once possessed. It will be yours again. He will give you a good life and make you more numerous than your ancestors. God, your God, will cut away the thick calluses on your heart and your children's hearts, freeing you to love God, your God, with your whole heart, soul, and live, really live. God, your God, will put all the curses on your enemies who hated you and were out to get you and will make a new start, listening obediently to God, keeping all his commandments that I'm commanding you today. Listen here. God, your God, will outdo himself in making things go well for you. You'll have babies, get calves, grow crops, and enjoy an all-around good life. Yes, God will start enjoying you again, making things go well for you, just as he enjoyed doing it for your ancestors. This is insanely beautiful. His view of restoration isn't just, okay, I'm going to take you back in Israel. I'm going to call you my people. But no, you're going to enjoy me again. I'm going to be with you again. He says in that last line that he's going he's to give you abundance. He uses the language of babies and calves and crops. And, I mean, have you guys ever seen a Jersey calf, baby Jersey cow? I think I have a picture of one somewhere. Maybe it won't show up. But a baby Jersey cow is what abundance looks like to me. That is what I want to see in my yard every single day when I grow up. And even beyond that, even beyond the physical pieces of restoration that we see, something as beautiful as children or as good as food for your family, God's saying even more than that, it's about who will be with it. God's restoration doesn't just return things. God's restoration renews this mutual enjoyment with him. God's vision of restoration for Israel wasn't just that they returned to God and they can say, yes, God, we are yours again. The God of Israel is our king, but he takes it further because he wants to experience abundant life with them. He says that it's going to be better than anything they knew and that God's restoration doesn't just take us back. It's better. It takes us to a place where we get to commune with him and enjoy him and he gets to enjoy us. And even looking at God's vision for the restoration of the world, he's not going to just take us back and say, okay, go back in time, and it's Adam and Eve again. He says, no, there's a new thing I'm doing, a new creation. I'm going to renew the world, and you're going to be in it with me ruling and reigning. And that's how God restores, and it's so much better than the things we could dream. So as we talk about restoration here in Galatians, and we talk about how to restore one another, I want to invite the Spirit to help us dream for each other as he does. Because his visions for us are big. And it's not simply a return to right order. It's not simply a return to the way that we used to be or the things that we used to do. 
but he's inviting us into kingdom fullness. He's inviting us to enjoy him and to be enjoyed by him. If anyone is caught in transgression, this is God's heart of restoration for them. So keep that as we continue to walk through Galatians. Brothers, if anyone is caught in transgression, what he's talking about here is caught. It isn't necessarily a, oh, I walked in and I saw your sin and uh, gotcha. But it's more of a sense of caught as in entangled. It can be translated as entangled or you're suffocated, you're trapped, is the vision of caught that we're getting here. And so he's saying, hey, this isn't only for those scenarios where you find somebody's sin out, but this is for people who they are stuck in their sin. Maybe it's addiction. Maybe it's um, something that they've just been in for a long time, or maybe it's something they don't even notice anymore because they've been in it so long, but they feel caught. And God's call to his people of how they love each other by the Spirit is to restore them. So how do we enter into God's vision of restoration for those who are caught? If the entanglement of sin is the road to corruption to those who choose the way of the flesh, then to restore would be to turn again, to be untangled, and to walk back in step with the Spirit, back in a fullness of life, and into the more that God has for you. To restore someone is to remind them that they were made to walk with the Spirit, that they were not made to be slaves, they weren't made for that old life, and that they get to reap the things of the Spirit. So how do we do this for each other? How do we restore by the Spirit? Well, in Galatians, it's pretty apparent that the first thing we do is it's with a spirit of gentleness. A spirit of gentleness is, again, something that we have of the spirit. He's growing this in us as his followers who he lives in us and he's bringing gentleness into us. Um, a spirit of gentleness is not reactionary. It doesn't confront sin out of reaction or out of anger or out of a place of selfishness. Our motives matter when we are restoring people, when we're confronting sin and we're moving into new ways of life. So what spirit are you coming from? When you go to restore or when you go to confront, is it jealous? Is it angry? Because if it's not gentle, it's not of God. God's way is one of kindness and gentleness and believing in God's plans for people's restoration, not using our own agendas as our motive. A spirit of gentleness is not selfishness. These two can be easily confused because we think that being gentle means not being confrontational. But did you know that not confronting sin in the people you love is selfishness? It's saying, I care more about what you say about me or what you think about me than I care about what God says about you and that he has restoration for you. Gentleness is not selfishness. A spirit of gentleness is not a spirit of fear. Fear sees sin as something that's too big, something that's too scary, something that we need to just cover up so nobody sees it because maybe it'll make them stumble or maybe it'll tear down the walls that we've built. Fear sees sin and it panics, but gentleness doesn't panic. The spirit of God, the spirit of gentleness sees sin, sees the entanglement, and isn't afraid of it. It says, no, I see victory over that. I see how you are gonna be untangled from that, and I see a future and a hope for you even in the time that you don't see it for yourself. And that's why confession of sin can be met with peace, because we know who to trust. A spirit of gentleness is also a spirit of humility. It's being able to confront sin while also knowing that you might not know the whole story. Being able to approach sin in a way like Jesus said, knowing that, hey, you might have a log in your eye, so make sure it's gone before you go for the speck that's in theirs. And humility to recognize, like tonight's passage lays out, that you need to keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. Saying that, hey, this could be you. 
This is why we keep ourselves in check. This is why we keep in step with the spirit is because we're not above. And that humility allows us to come alongside people to restore them, to pull them into the dreams God has for them rather than loom above them and tell them what they should be like. Second, we restore people with declaration of truth. We restore people to walk in step with the spirit by reminding them what they were made for. We are here in each other's lives to declare truth over each other about what God says about you in the moments when you can hear and the moments when you can't. Declaring people's truth that's spoken by God, by their father. And the first place we go is to the scripture. I have a few up here um, for us to read through together that are just glimpses of what God is saying over his people and what identities we can speak over those we know. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into wonderful light. You were made for light, so walk in step. John 1.12, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You are a child of God. Walk in step. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He's already prepared them, walk in them, walk in his spirit, walk in step. Romans 8.1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Philippians 3.20, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You are citizens of heaven, do not forget where you come from. 2 Timothy 1.7, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Your sin, don't fear it, because he's given you the power and love and self-control. And to speak truth over those that we love, we need to read his word. We need to know what he says about us, but about others too, so that we can walk in love towards them. And also, to declare truth over those that we know, ask the spirit. This is by the spirit how we love So ask him, God, what would you say about the brother or the sister that's next to me? What would you say about their identity? What would you say about their purpose? What would you say about their dreams? And then you can boldly speak that over them. You can boldly speak that over them when they're caught and when they're not. Who doesn't want to be encouraged with the truth that God has for them? Number three, we restore with honesty. We restore people by being honest that sin is damaging. Just as we saw when we were looking at the text before, that sin reaps corruption. We're honest about the messes that we create and what it's gonna take to clean them up. We take responsibility for the messes that we make and we walk through the process of cleaning up mess with those that we seek restoration for. Restoration doesn't mean that we encourage people to forget the truth about what sin does or to try and hide the things that have happened. Restoration doesn't induce shame. Restoration says, no, God has the power to clean it up, so let's walk this road together and see what he has in store. We recognize sin's destruction, but we don't fear it. We encourage each other with boldness to walk in the spirit and take courageous moves to partner with God and his people to mend broken places and broken people. We don't walk in ignorance, we walk in power. Number four, we restore each other with belief. We believe that God is even better than we think, that he has more love to the people to our right and to our left than we do, and we believe that his restoring work is for the people around us, and that their sin doesn't define their stories or their future. The last um, couple of weeks, I've been getting to walk through a story of God's redemption, I believe, and how he's redeeming a family that I love very much. I had a friend call me, this was 
couple weeks ago, and she had a story, the kind of story where you hear it, and you're like, there's no way that they could have. There's no way that they could do that. They are not that person. And I saw in a moment a family just get ripped apart. And I remember looking at it, at that story and being, God, I don't know how you fix something like this. Like, there's no way. Like, this is just broken, and then we just need to figure out how to move forward now that it's broken. But I got together with a couple of my friends who also love these people very much, and we asked God anyway. We said, God, okay, we want you to restore. We want you to give vision for how you're going to restore them. And so he gave us prophecy over them and truth over them and love over them and gave me eyes to see someone um, in a way I didn't know that I could again. And I think for like three days, every time that I'd get an update from this family, whether it was a text or a call, and I was like, what, God, you're doing it already? You're bringing, you're restoring them? I would hear things from them like, it's better than we ever thought it could have been. There's joy for us that we've never, we've never had. We didn't think we would ever have. We started living in this complacent way, and God is restoring things we didn't even know needed to be restored. And I found myself, re- like, rejoicing. Like, I would cry, and I was so happy, and then I would get, I would, like, be in these moments with myself where I was like, okay, but I need to be ready for when they call me and they say, oh, actually, it was like, it just broke. Oh, actually, when they said that they were healed, they weren't. It was fake. I was like, I need to be ready for when the inevitable happens and this actually is a mess, so I need to just figure out how we're going to pick it up. And I remember saying this to God. I was like, okay, I just need to be ready for the blow up. And... God came to me and said, belief is not naive, and cynicism is not wisdom. And when we ask these questions in cynicism of, okay, well, we have to expect that people are just going to break, it's not belief. It's not believing that God is that good, that he's better than we think. And yeah, in this situation, there is, like, there's a mess to be cleaned up. But did God transform a life and a mind and his spirit moved in a miracle and reclaimed a person? Yes. And to believe that that work is not real and not lasting? (laughs) That's not trusting the God that we serve. The one that says, I am so good that I have restoration for you where it's better than you ever thought. So we don't get to sit back and wait for people to get caught again. We don't get to sit back and say, okay, well, that sin got them once, so it's bound to get them again. We get to say, we believe God restores. And when someone claims his healing, his restoration, his goodness in their life, we believe it with them and we rejoice with them. So as we restore by the Spirit, we cannot hold on to our cynicism. We can't hold old identities over people. There are so many nuances, and hurt is real. And yeah, apologies need to be made, and roads need to be walked, but we need to be a people who believe for ourselves and for each other that God is a God of miracles, and he breaks chains that entangle people. We believe that God has the power to speak newness while we walk with one another. And committing to this kind of restoration, the kind that seeks God's vision for one another, is a kind that knows the reality of freedom. This kind of loving by the Spirit is the church that Jesus longs for. The kind that declares it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. We are people set free. We shed the life of self, the yoke of slavery, and we step into freedom together. His yoke is an easy one. His burden is light.
And in verse 2 of this passage, it says, Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone, not his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So Paul's taking a broader step back here. Restoration is one way that we bear burdens with one another, one way that we walk with one another and love one another. So we're taking a step back, and he's saying, you're going to bear all of each other's burdens. You're in this together. He says, bearing each other's burdens is to fulfill the law of Christ. So what is this law? Well, in John 13, 34, Jesus says, this is a new command I give to you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. So his law, love one another as he loved us. How do we fulfill this law? How do we lay our lives down for each other, loving like Jesus? In Galatians 2, 24, he says, so then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. Jesus fulfilled the law in full, and his blood justifies us by faith. So it's by faith, by the Holy Spirit, that we are able to love one another as he loved us. It is by faith, by his spirit, that we're able to lay our lives down and bear each other's burdens. And what does it look like to bear burdens with the spirit? Well, Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 says, Come to me, all who are labored and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. What does it look like to bear burdens with each other? It looks like resting in what he's done. And not because it's permissive, and not because your burden doesn't exist anymore, but because when we're weak, he's strong. Because he produces the fruit, because he brings the harvest, because he already bought the victory for you. Bearing one another's burdens is to walk side by side, reminding each other that because of the gospel of Jesus, our burden is light and the yoke that you get is freedom. That Jesus has fulfilled the law and given us a spirit where we get to cry out, Father, and the Father is strong for you and your load is light. So it's the simple gospel is how we bear burdens for each other. That by preaching the gospel to ourselves and to each other, that there's a king who died to fulfill the law so that we could unite ourselves to him, so that we're not slaves, we're not under the yoke of slavery, we're sons and we're daughters, that our inheritance is his kingdom and we find rest for our souls. That's what it looks like to bear each other's burdens, to turn to the person next to you and when the weight looks heavy and the burden's too much to say, remember what he did. We're inviting each other into a rest of work that he already did. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Because if we think that this work is our work, our sweat, it's us lifting burdens off, it's us freeing people, we deceive ourselves. It's the spirit. It's the gospel that frees people. And guys, as I was prepping this teaching, I, kind of, I was going over this part again in my head, and I was kind of like, okay, bearing each other's burdens with the gospel, it seems really simple, this doesn't feel like something that can be that simple. And there's got to be some kind of like step-by-step step that I can offer or more that I can. And I'm sure there's people out there that can offer that. But as I was asking these questions, I was I said, okay, Jesus, how did you bear people's burdens? And Jesus died so he could bear people's burdens. <laughs> I'm not going to outdo that. And unless what we build to help each other is built around what he's already done, it's meaningless. 
the truest thing that we can do for each other is not to try to build a system to carry the weight or try to muscle it up ourselves so that I can make it feel lighter for you, but it's to remind each other that we live in a new reality and there's someone else who has the strength to carry it. That sometimes we do way more damage by trying to play savior for people than if we would just step aside and point them to the real thing. Point them to him. And yeah, there's work to be done as we bear burdens with one another, especially when we're seeking restoration. But this work is under an easy yoke with freedom we know is already bought. I heard a helpful analogy for this, um, and it helped make sense to me, especially as we're talking about the reaping and sowing language. But it was about a gardener. And I'm not a gardener. If you left me at home with our plants, they'd be dead. But I watched my grandma all growing up, and she's the best gardener. Oh, she's so cute. I hope you guys can meet her sometime. She's great. And Grams is always out there with her little tools. That's how much I know. I don't know what you use to garden. But she's moving things around, making things pretty. Her hillside is just straight flowers all the time. It's beautiful. And yes, she works. She's out there. She goes for a couple hours, maybe every day. I'm not sure. But she, do, she does work. But she leaves the work, goes inside, and goes to bed. And her part is small compared to how the sun, the oxygen, the rain brings her fruit to fruition, brings her crop to grow. So yeah, we work as gardeners. As we choose to walk in step with the Spirit and we make room for the Spirit to move and we cultivate a space where he can come and do what he wants, we dig up rooted sin that we're entangled in and we let people in on it. But he is the sun, he is the oxygen, he is the power bringing dead things back to life. He is the one producing the fruit. And when we invite others into it, when we say, okay, come and bear my burdens with me, it's kind of like when my grams invites my gramps to come in and move rocks that are too heavy or to put a fence around the outside. And still, the flowers at the end of the day are the result. I look at my grandma. I say, yeah, those are her flowers. But we each have a chance to invite people in to help us create an environment where fruit can thrive. We each have a chance to invite each other in to help cultivate the ground so that the spirit can do its work. Bearing each other's burdens is walking beside each other, believing God's dreams for one another, warning each other of the destruction of sin, and ultimately reminding each other of the truth that we're free and that the son is faithful to grow the fruit of the spirit in us as we walk in step with him. It's about doing life with each other in such a way that we're walking side by side and pointing each other moment by moment to the reality that is our hope, that is Jesus. And let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So let's not grow weary. If you feel weary tonight, if you feel like sin has tangled you up or you feel like you're just so tired that you don't know what it looks like to walk in step with the Spirit anymore, don't lose heart. These people, this place, the church, is here to restore you, not to condemn you, to help you bear your burdens and remind you that the truth of the gospel is that your reality is freedom. The Spirit has laid claim to the hearts of those who have called on him, and his dream for you is the life that comes with walking in step, an abundant one, a cultivated one, one that is alive, not weary, so we will not give up. We believe that Jesus has made a way so that the old man can die and the new man can live, and the Spirit lives in the new man with power and authority bringing life to places. 
We believe that as we love one another by the spirit that he restores what's been broken, not just to what it was, but with more vibrancy and promise than we thought imaginable. We believe that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, that who the Son sets free are free indeed. We believe what he says, that the way of flesh brings destruction and the way of the spirit brings life, and we choose him. We choose life. We believe that he fulfilled the law so that we can love each other, so that we can do this, so that we can walk with each other and walk in step with him. We believe that he's better than we know, that he's better than we think, and that he's a God of miracles. We believe that our burden is light because he is our sun, he is our oxygen, he is the life bringing the growth in our lives. And we believe that a message like this about confronting sin, breaking entanglements, transgression, of being a family who's bold enough to speak truth, it's a message of hope. Because it's a message of his gospel and that he's restoring his people. We will not give up because he's strong for us. So then, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. This opportunity to do good is an opportunity to remind each other of the goodness of God. Like we just talked about, to remind each other of the goodness of his gospel and the truth of his freedom and the fact that that's the reality we live in. That we really believe him. We really believe in kingdom restoration. So the opportunity here in this household of faith is to be good to each other because he's been relentlessly good to us. Good with our resources, good with our words, good with our time. And the opportunity tonight is to love by his spirit, to be his church. And as we take this opportunity, I'm gonna invite the worship team back up. But as we walk in this opportunity, I think each of us has a chance tonight to come and to take it and to be good to each other in one way or another. For you, it might be that you feel caught, that you feel that entanglement of sin, the kind where you're like, I don't know how I could ever get out of this. But God's story for you, right here, tonight, it's one of restoration. He's giving the people around you right now in your community, he's giving them dreams for you and hopes for you and life for you. So come forward and just ask. Say, I'm entangled and I don't know what to do, but I know that God is faithful to restore. And I promise it'll be better than what you could imagine. And for some of you, maybe you relate with feeling weary. You just feel tired. And for a variety of reasons, maybe you just feel like you want to give up. But he wants to bring you into his rest tonight. The truth of his gospel to wash over you, to refresh your soul, to lift your burden because he's easy. And for some tonight, I think God just wants to remind us that he's better. That he's better than what we think. He's better than what we know. He wants to, us to come to him and ask things and say, okay, now I'm gonna blow your mind with how much better that I am. And that's what he wants to do for you tonight. And the things that you've been afraid to ask for or hesitant to ask for, he invites you to ask anyway and then he can show you how good that he is.